electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the reopening rally, the strong consumer, and whether Wall Street is now just too obsessed with the tech trade. We'll debate your money with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Surat Sethi, and Pete Nigerian. I'll take you to the wall, as I always do. Let's check where stocks are trading right now. Yeah, it's, we're a bit of a mixed bag, as you know, from listening to uh, Carl and the gang ahead of us. The Dow and the S&P negative. Tech's a leader today, along with discretionary. The Nasdaq's good for just about 50. Small cap's about one half of 1%. The 10-year note yield at 165. Yes, retail news was good today. Some really good reports. That puts a lot of focus on the consumer Josh, you know, I'm wondering, the market still feels like it's trying to work some stuff out before it figures out where, where it's going next. How do you feel about things, taking everything into context today? A little bit of a bounce for tech and then a really strong set of retail reports. I love that you just phrased it that way, Judge, because that's exactly the way uh, we're, we're conveying what's happening uh, with clients over the last week. Uh, because truthfully, over the last week, a lot of sectors have bounced back from what we thought was the onset of a new correction. Uh, and they did it right at the levels that they should have. So I think there is some decisiveness in areas like retail, really most of consumer discretionary. But I also think it's worth pointing out, uh, the transports really never let you down this whole time. Uh, materials, financials continue to make new highs despite all the volatility in the NASDAQ names. And you know that is like one of the hallmarks of a market that wants higher. So when you think about the retail numbers, and by the way, Brian Westbury at uh, First Trust had a really good piece on that over the weekend. Retailers are now reporting numbers that are higher than if the pandemic never happened. And according to their calculations, uh, we've pulled forward two and a half years of, of retail into March and April. Like we're two and a half years ahead of where we would have been at a regular, uh, you know, higher trending monthly retail sales number. It's really astounding. And that leads me to say this. If you're in one of these retailers that have just reported an incredible number, recognize how ludicrously bad the comps are. Understand that it's unlikely that you'll see a repeat performance. It doesn't mean you have to get out or you have to take this rally and it's the best you'll get. But just be very self-aware of what you're experiencing, that euphoria, uh, because this is not a sector that's that's going to give you back to back to back quarters like this. It really is not going to happen. Yeah, your your your, your point's so well taken. And and what jumps out, Pete, is Macy's with a sixty two point five percent same store sales comp. Uh, it speaks to exactly what Josh is saying. But I go to the point I set up at the top of the show as to whether we're just too obsessed with this tech trade. I'm as guilty as anybody. Right. I mean, we talk about Kathy Woodstocks and the ARC names every single day. 
these high flyers. And we've been talking about the fact that some of the FANG stocks haven't done all that much, how Apple's kind of been stuck in the mud and some of these other names. And maybe, Pete, maybe we should be focused on more of this reopening story, this rebirth of the economy and the rest of our lives. And we're going to get out there. We're going to spend a lot of money in a whole lot of different places this summer, Pete. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Scott. I mean, when you look at things, look at the broadness of the markets. I, I, I think that's the most impressive. I love the fact that we're not dependent on just FANG names. I love the fact that we're not just dependent on technology right now, or maybe even the semiconductors as they bounce around up and down like a yo-yo. We continue to see the solid movement to the upside. Some of it's in retail. A lot of it's in the financials. Some of it's in the industrials. A lot of it is in energy. But a lot of these name, the different sectors are participating in this rally to the upside lately. And I think that's interesting. On the other hand, I think you do have to acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of those names out there, specifically on the tech side, where they just have no multiple at all, and we have to recognize that. And we've seen the punishment that many of those names have had. And I think at this point in time, it's time to start reevaluating and looking at some of those names because when things are the worst are the times where you want to start looking. And, and we've talked about that a little bit, too, where suddenly everybody forgot all about all of these names and they just continue to think they're going to get cut in half again and again and again. I don't think that's the case. So I think there are some opportunities out there, Scott. As a matter of fact, just last week we were talking about some of the crazier names and crazier evaluations. We were talking about Snowflake, and we were seeing some upside call buying in there. So there, there's a lot of different aspects, I think, to the market right now that are fueling what we are seeing. But it's, it is volatile. I mean, let's be honest. We're talking about a 20 volatility index, which where we were, we were getting closer and closer to those middle teens. We had that spike last week where we got up towards 30, and we're sort of holding right around this 20 level, which is sort of a no man's land. So I think we have to be very uh, conscious of that as well, just because it is a volatile market. But I think there are plenty of opportunities out there. We're going to mention, you know, Snowflake and some of these other tech stocks a little bit later on in our A block today. And I'll tell you why Snowflake is getting the lift that it is today. There's a call from a firm on it and we can discuss that a little bit later. But Surat, you know, you've got these great stories today, whether it's Macy's, the Gap gets an upgrade. And I'm somewhat surprised to see from the notes today that you say you wouldn't touch Macy's with a 10 foot pole. Why not? Um, it's not, it's more that the retail is very hard to invest in. It's a trading story. And your points of look, 62% when you had really nothing going on last year at the same time. I just think there are other opportunities to play for reopening. And, and it doesn't have to just be in retail. I mean, I like Ulta in that space. But I think you, you can look at, you know, the autos, you can look at the airlines, you can look at a whole bunch of industrials, and the financials are also reopening. So you know, this is broad and there are other places to but, play. And I want to have really good secular growth companies. But you're, let me ask you this. I mean, you, you are making a statement yeah. call here. You're saying I don't want anything to I do am. with the retail trade at all. And not, I'm curious as to why. Not I mean, all retail. Why? It's very, well, I mean, because to Josh's Ulta. point. You just said Ulta. That's the only yeah. one you could find in your bag yeah. is Ulta. Judge, I think I, I've owned Macy's and I've owned Nordstrom's in the back. No, I, I've been burnt by them. I, I have a very hard time to invest in them for the next couple of years. And I think what you've seen is this pull through that you talked about uh, for the next two and a half years. So I find that there are other areas that I understand better that I can invest in and not trade around because I think this is more temporary that you're seeing in certain socks like like a Macy's.
Oh, okay. All right. That's fair. Stephanie Link, you own TJX. You own VF Corp. No Macy's. No Gap. But you like the consumer story, don't you? Love the consumer story. So first and foremost, to answer your question at the top, tech and comm services, 36% of the S&P 500. So we have to pay attention I to know. those two sectors. I know. Right? We have to. And, I know. And, and there are some really we, great, great we, opportunities. But, but what? We obsess about you. it. Yeah, because those, those, no, have I, been I the those have been the leaders, right? So, so that's number one. Number two, the consumer, yes, I'm very bullish. I'm overweight consumer discretionary. I have some pretty big bets, and even in consumer staples, a couple of special situations. But, but consumer discretionary is about 11% of the S&P 500, but it's 70% of the U.S. economy. So we, we, we're rooting for the consumer to do well. Personal consumption at 10.2% is just a terrific number from last uh, month's uh, GDP number. The personal income number of 21.2% is the best, I mean, I think I've ever seen seen or, or, or saw in my life, actually. And uh, the savings rate at 27%, that's a very high number. It's inflated. But if you actually go down to the average of 5%, if you've got kind of mean revert, that's $2 trillion in pent-up demand. So where do you want to, where do you want to kind of inv invest in that theme? I think there's a whole litany of consumer names that you can own. And I do favor a uh, reopen. You know that. I mean, TJX is, is actually really lagged. It's only up 6% on the year. It's the number one in off-price. They benefit from all the in, uh, the uh, dislocations in inventories around the industry. And it, again, it's, it's reopened. If we learn one thing from, we learned a lot from Walmart today, but one of the things that was the positive call out was that traffic actually improved. And we know that TJ, people like the treasure hunt. They want to go to the store. So I think that that one is a really good second half of the year, uh, year uh, beneficiary okay. and, and name. And then VF Corp. And then VF Corp is just, I, I like the athletic and the, and the casual wear and the work wear. That's a $500 billion uh, total addressable market. And they only have a 2% market share. So those are the names I'm playing versus a Macy's or a Gap at this point. I, I like how you put the TJX thing about going, you know, you want to go to the store. You want to go treasure hunt or however you, you put it. And I'm just wondering, Josh, if we're going to have a mm. renaissance and a rebirth of that big dying thing that everybody talked about for a number of years mm. called the mall. Because if I look at Dillard's, <laughs> it's up 15% in a week. It's up 46% month to date. I've got Nordstrom's up 15% this month. I've got Kohl's up six. You've got Simon Properties, Store Capital, uh, some other names too. People want to go out. I've been to the mall a couple of times. Feels good. Feels good to walk around the mall, see other people go shopping for a few things that you've been locked up in your house and you haven't been able to do. Maybe this is a new time for those sorts of trades, Josh. Judge, the mall bears are wrong AF, and they have been on the same story for 15 years and they are missing what's Whoa. changed since the pandemic. The malls have become literally indispensable for every retailer as a place to bring returns back from e-commerce. And every time you bring a return back from e-commerce, you probably buy two or three more things. In addition, the A-class malls, which is the only thing I'm interested in, are adding entertainment options, dining options, and becoming the new town square for all of the people who have discovered and rediscovered the joys of suburbia, which I've been very early to, by the way, moved out of Manhattan in 08. So when you look at the stocks and the way to play this and the way to play the consumer and the way to play like everything that I'm talking about, I don't want to look at uh, Nordstrom and Dillard's and Macy's. Uh, they're all spokes on a wheel. 
to paraphrase Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I will break the wheel. And the way I do it is by owning the landlord. Simon Property reported outstanding earnings last week. This is a company that has all different options at play right now, including acquiring some of the great brands who are just not great retailers. Eddie Bauer most recently, Brooks Brothers before that, and on and on. Uh, I think there are so many ways to win. So this is a stock that I own personally. I'm reinvesting the dividends. I think Simon over the next three years could be $150 plus and on a total return basis outperform a lot of the things people are excited about who hate the malls. Pete, I know you well, I think. And I know. Yeah, you do. You can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I know. Yes, I know that you've had that bucket hat on that you like to wear, and you've been walking around the Mall of America yeah. with that beard on the weekend. Absolutely. Looking for things to buy. Right. I know you. <laughs> I know you like the mall. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> What's not what a, to like? What about some stocks in the mall, Pete? Yeah, you know what? The, the stocks within the mall, some of them, I think, have, have some promise and others do not. Uh, Gap Stores, I think, is a great example of a company that absolutely, what they have done is, over the last year, they've done an amazing job of changing around what they were, which was much more of a bricks and mortar. And now they've got all this growth on e-commerce, and that's turning into a big percentage of what they are making in terms of revenue. So they've done a great job of pivoting when they needed to, and that started quite a long time ago. So they've, they're one of those that I think really does stand out for me. You know, you guys were talking about Macy's earlier um, with Surratt, and I, and, and I can't agree more with him on that. I, I see some of these names that I think are struggling, and some of them are based in malls and so forth. But I think there are also all kinds of stocks that, that, that do stand out for me. I see TJX in the middle of, uh, or Marshalls rather, in, in the middle of the Mall of America as well, as I'm walking around in there. And it's a great boots on the ground. You walk in there, you see exactly what people are, are buying, what are this, what are, what's all in the stock that we are seeing within that store itself. And you can, get, you can take away a lot of different ideas as you walk around in the mall and so forth. But I, I, I like retail. I think that there's a lot of great names in retail. I think those that pivoted well, the right way and, and for a long period of time have had e-commerce. If you didn't have the e-commerce and you weren't executing with the perfection that some of those have been, then you're in trouble. But those that have... Look at Walmart. Look at Target. Look at where some of these stocks oh, have gone it. over the last couple of weeks. I yeah. <laughs> well, for all the right reasons, though. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, even last quarter. So last quarter, they had a great quarter with Target. This quarter, we'll find out tomorrow. But, you know, the reality is, look at Walmart's uh, quarter and, and, and how well they did and the stickiness of the consumer with Walmart and the, the, the them going directly after Amazon Prime now with Walmart Plus. So there's a lot of different things that are going right, I think, in certain areas of retail. But it's all about the execution that's coming from the C-suite and then going across the country and how they're able to manage to get people back in the stores and hold them. Get that stickiness, whether it's Target or Walmart or whomever, to get them back in the stores, but then retain them as well when they are at home. I know all roads always lead to Target with you, Pete. I was going to bring it up, but I knew I didn't have to because you would. Stephanie Link, here's the problem. I'm looking at my performance sheet right in front of me right now. 
Walmart, compared to the others, is kind of a dud. Why? I mean, it's so dramatically trailed. Target and, you know, look, I, I know Home Depot and Lowe's are different stories. I'm looking at all those today. Year to date, Walmart's a zero. I mean, it's, uh, it's minus one and a half percent. Nothing to write home about. Why? What's, what's up with WMT? I think Walmart trades like a staple stock, to be honest with you. And it's trading at 25 times forward estimates, which is kind of rich. You don't really get a great dividend yield. So I think you do get more operating leverage in something like a Target. I used to own Target and I've owned Walmart over the years. But I just think that there's so many other names where you do see them doing a really good job in terms of margins and also product innovation. That's what it's all about. I know we're probably going to get to Home Depot and, and Lowe's, but Stanley Black and Decker, I mean, they've done a tremendous job in terms of new product innovation, market share growth. They're talking about that, how they're benefiting from global reconnection to the home. And they, like D.R. Horton, also talked about this surge in millennial buyers. So I find that there are more exciting names to own rather than Walmart. It's nothing wrong with it at all. And it was a really good quarter. They've executed brilliantly. But I just think that there are other names that you can own and even cheaper in cheaper multiples, quite frankly. So you, you mentioned um, Depot, which you sold out of several months ago. I mean, yeah. I remember when you did it. So, you know, what, what do you make of what they reported? Do you have second thoughts about selling that stock? And then I'll move to uh, Surratt, who's looking for big things from Lowe's tomorrow. But go ahead first, Steph. No, I mean, it's trading. It, too, is trading at 25 times earnings. And I feel like it's very over-owned. If people want to own a housing stock, it's like, OK, I'll go to Home Depot, I'll go to Lowe's. You know me by now. I'm trying to look for names that aren't on the obvious list. Now, Stanley Black & Decker is up 20 percent on the year. It's had a good move, but it's only trading at 19 times forward estimates. And they have 70 percent of their business is tools and storage. And 30 percent of that tools and storage is actually Home Depot and Lowe's. So I get exposure there. I just also get other things as well in terms of product innovation um, and also this, again, this migration to millennials um, in, into the homes. And so I, I just prefer other names in this in this space. Yeah. So, Sarat, I mentioned Lowe's. Give me something quick on Lowe's. And I got a number of other stocks, stocks I want to run through before we take a break. Go ahead. Sure. You're looking at Lowe's because of the margin increase that we're looking for. Uh, they've always had lower margins on Home Depot. They've got a new CEO in there. And it's really it's an execution story. And that's why I own the stock. Uh, I think this one this one will be a good one to own for a couple of years. So let's let's um, take some language from Kramer and do a little bit of a lightning round if we could, because I want to I want to get through some of these stocks here. Number one, I want to talk about just other travel and leisure, other getting out and spending money names that we think may take advantage of this reopening play that we're thinking so much about. Uber. OK, Josh, I need you to give me something on, on Uber. It's it's 20 more than 20 percent off of its high. Just this month, it's down eight and a half percent. Now we got Dan Loeb revealing a new stake in it. So that's a wrinkle from the 13F. Don't know. You know, it's not as current as today, obviously. It's at the end of March. So we'll just take it for what it is. But nonetheless, give me something on Uber, which Surratt owns. Pete owns calls. But Josh, you're the man on Uber. Uh, I'm happy that Dan Loeb is in it. He's, I think, uh, one of the best stock pickers in the entire hedge fund industry. And so that gives me a little bit more confidence with the position. DoorDash has been cut in half. So Uber comparably has done much better. And I think that's because people recognize that while the Uber Eats numbers, that growth rate will obviously soften. 
as people are able to take their masks off and go places, um, the, the rides business is really first going to start picking up. This company is an indispensable layer within all of our lives. Like literally, it's, it's, uh, it's a service that I think only grows in importance from here on out. So I want to be invested in it for the long term. Uh, I've been down 20% in the stock many times. I've been in it since it's come public. So I'm not, that's not new for me. Uh, typically, I've added to it as it's gotten lower. And I might even end up doing the same if we see this back with a three-handle uh, because I think the long term here is going to be very bright and I want to be around. You, you nailed the, the move in Live Nation um, when, when you told our viewers that you liked the stock. That's still going I'm, I'm higher. Assuming that, That's, I'm, I'm assuming some judge, at the minimum judge, followed listen. you in there. It's up 17% year to date. Thank, thank, thank you for bringing that up. Let me do this really quickly. That is the reopening stock. Not necessarily Uber because it's got that push and pull with the delivery food. Live Nation is 100% reopening stock. Do you understand that they opened up ticketing for Astroworld in Houston? They sold 100,000 tickets in an hour. Do you understand that? How pent up people are? Every show this summer, every show is going to be a sold out show. All of their venues are reopening. Um, you now have almost half the population, U.S. adults, fully vaccinated. This is the stock, and it's worth $18 billion? That's a joke. That's a drop in the bucket. There are stocks in the S&P 500 that rise or fall by $20 billion each day. So uh, if you really want a reopening stock from me, that's the one that I feel the sh most strongly about. Um, and they've gotten a ton of financial stuff done over the last year when rates went to zero. They refinanced a lot of stuff. They raised equity capital. They have great shareholder base. And I think this one works its way higher as we all enjoy festivals, concerts. Um, I'll be at Governor's Ball this summer. It's going to be sick. Uh, ASAP Rocky, Megan Thee Stallion. Like, this is the stock. Sorry. Yeah. We can take Pete, a break. Pete, maybe you're thinking... May <laughs> Maybe you're thinking of the gaming tables in the same way that Josh is thinking about concert venues, right? Because you've got MGM calls, you've got Vegas yeah. Sands calls, uh, obviously reopening place yeah. too. Yeah, no doubt about it. And absolutely, Scott, as that, as that reopens, and it's not just Vegas, it's around the world. And, and obviously these companies have exposure, specifically Las Vegas Sands, outside of the United States in a big way. Most, of the, most if not all, I guess, of the revenue these days coming from outside of the country. So it's, it's, it is an absolute reopening play. I think it's, uh, it's, it's very powerful. I don't know that it's as quite as powerful as Live Nation, quite honestly. But I do think that as they start to get more and more, which they have been getting more and more open, especially in Las Vegas, and something we all are able to monitor a lot closer, that's something that's gotten really, really interesting for me. And so I think there is plenty of upside in any of these casino stocks. I think that almost the big three win, I think, MGM and Las Vegas Sands. I think you can, you're, you're going to do fine in all of those. And, and this doesn't mean okay. you're, you, you have to steer, steer away from the e-commerce ones as well. I mean, I'm talking about draft. Kings and some of the rest of those. Oh, I hear you. I'll, I'll get back to some of these names in just a moment, though. We haven't talked about the Colonial Pipeline in a few days. Eamon Javers has some breaking news regarding that story. Eamon, what can you tell us? Yeah, Scott, Colonial Pipeline now saying through a spokesperson that it has had inter intermittent disruptions today, but those are not related to the cybersecurity incident that they experienced last week and that product continues to flow. Here's what they're saying in a statement from a spokesperson. Our internal server that runs our nomination system experienced intermittent disruptions this morning due to some of the hardening 
efforts that are ongoing and part of the restoration process. They say these issues were not related to the ransomware or any type of reinfection. We are working diligently to bring our nomination system back online and will continue to keep our shippers updated. The Colonial Pipeline system continues to deliver refined products as nominated by our shippers. So, Scott, a statement there from Colonial. Obviously, a lot of attention on this given the cyber security incident that they had that shut down uh, shipping of refined product to the East Coast last week and all the disruptions that came there. This one, though, they say is not related to that. Uh, obviously, though, anytime you see anything going on with Colonial Pipeline these days, people are very sensitive and want to know what exactly is happening. Back over to you. Yeah, you don't want the word disruption and Colonial Pipeline in the same sentence uh, for any, any more, right. uh, Eamon, so we can understand right. why there's a lot of focus there. We appreciate that update. Eamon Javers live for us in Washington, D.C. All right, Steph, let's get back to a stock here because the Linkster must be loving the move in win today. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do like when um, it's it's totally Macau story. Seventy percent of their revenues come from Macau. So we're rooting for China to recover. They are recovering, actually, um, in terms of traffic and trends. Um, and I think the, they have a little bit of exposure on Las Vegas. And I think the Caesars comments last week were really interesting that they're sold out in Las Vegas uh, on the weekends, um, uh, as far as the eyes can see, which is sort of an interesting comment in itself. So I think that they do benefit from the both combination, you know, a little bit of Macau and or a lot of bit of Macau, a little bit of Vegas. They've done a really good job uh, in terms of executing in a really hard environment. So this one is definitely, it's one of my bigger names, actually, in the portfolio. You have uh, Marriott, too, in this reopening story. Give me something quick on that, then I'm going to end with Serrata on Delta Airlines. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so they have U.S. and international exposure, right? And they have a little more international exposure than their peers. So they're lagging. I like that because I think that you're going to see international recover at some point, too. The Starwood transaction a couple of years ago gives them size and scale. And I wouldn't be surprised to see in the next two or three quarters they reinstitute uh, uh, the buyback program. All right. You, uh, you have an interesting new buy we're going to talk about a little bit later, too. I'm looking at it right on my list, but I'm just going to tease that for a little bit. <laughs> All right. Surat, Delta Airlines. <laughs> I do. Uh, I like Delta for the leisure travel. And I think, as uh, Josh mentioned, we get more people vaccinated, kids getting vaccinated. People are ready to travel. And, and as soon as Europe starts opening out, Delta is going to benefit there. And then the option is business travel in the fall. So you get you know, three things that are going to help this. It's got a great balance sheet. They did really well through this downturn. Uh, I like this reopening story a lot. All right. Good stuff. We will take that break. And when we come back, we will talk about Stephanie Link's new stock buy. Plus, Warren Buffett's making some moves that impact Stephanie Link's holdings as well. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. 
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's your CNBC Newsday update at this hour. And North Carolina prosecutors say sheriff's deputies were justified in fatally shooting Andrew Brown. They say Brown refused commands from officers and used his car as a, quote, deadly weapon. They also say they will not release body cam video of the fatal encounter. In southern Israel, police say a strike launched from Gaza has killed two Thai workers. It happened just hours after Israeli airstrikes destroyed a six-story building in Palestinian territory that housed bookstores and educational centers. In Jerusalem, police used water cannon and stun grenades to disperse Palestinian protesters, calling for an end to the ongoing violence in Gaza. Across Israel, many Palestinians have joined a general strike in an uncommon show of unity. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, he'll speak with a Mideast expert from the Bush administration about what it might take to stop these attacks. Scott, back to you. All right, Kel, we appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly Evans. All right, Stephanie Link, that stock that I was talking about that's down 25% in one month. The ticker symbol starts with a T. What is it? (laughs) That's Twitter. Uh, Try to pick up some of these high flyers that I think are kind of uh, giving us an opportunity. So the stock is down 32 percent from the March high. It's totally out of favor. There's only 11 buys out there. There are 29 holds or sells on this stock. Now, look, I know why it's down. It was it was a pretty crummy quarter this past quarter against very high expectations. Um, And especially on the user growth, it just didn't recover like some of its peers. But I do like the long term in terms of what they're doing on user product improvements, um, on uh, new direct response advertising, on subscription revenue streams. There's so many various different things that they're doing that will lead to better growth and a recovery in their growth and a recovery in user growth. That's the most important, right? And so in the near term, you also have the Euro Cup in June. So that also might be a nice catalyst, a nice tailwind for them, too. So I just think this is classic low expectations now um, against high expectations pre-quarter. And so the stock has sold off. And I think it's a great opportunity for the long run. Okay. And the money to buy Twitter came from Aptiv, mm. which you took your money and ran. I know. that. <laughs> yeah, I was up 63%. I love this company, right? It's like an auto technology company and they do such a good job. So this is one I absolutely would get back into. No, no, no hesitation at all. I just didn't really have a lot of cash on hand. And I thought that the better risk reward here was in Twitter. Why'd you buy more Anaplan and Zoetis? Well, I mean, Zoetis is just the behemoth in the industry, and I thought they had a very strong quarter, uh, double-digit growth, great margin expansion. Uh, they're, the, they're the leader, and, and the stock sold off. And the stock's kind of been kind of crummy year, um, year to date. So um, I think uh, just taking advantage of the, the, the fact that it's lagged. Anaplan, I just like the fact that the company, it's a cloud play, but it's also they're starting to see billings improve sequentially. They have actually the last three quarters. And so I expect the momentum to continue. It's kind of off the radar screen, I think, of a lot of peop- for a lot of people. It is down 24 percent. So uh, I thought, again, risk reward here is exciting. OK, Surat, let's talk about some of your moves. You bought more Diageo and GoDaddy. Tell me about those two before I talk about something that you sold. Um, I did. So uh, Diageo I like because it's a great reopening play as, as people go out more. Diageo owns some of the best global brands in the world, whether it's Johnny Walker, Smirnoff. And I think you're going to see higher premium branded products being sold and people consuming them as they get out of the house. 
Uh, GoDaddy is, is a stock, it's a secular growth story in terms of people using more hosting. And especially as we go more hybrid, that growth is going to continue. The service revenue stocks come off quite a bit from its high. So I like that. Um, and then, you know, those are two areas that I, I, I wanted to add to. You, you sold Fortune Brands and Masco, um, which is interesting since you like Lowe's, but you're getting rid of Masco. Fortune Brands obviously is a consumer reopen as well, isn't it? They both are, Scott, and they both did everything we wanted them to do. They had margin expansion. They grew their top line. And really what we saw was it's, they're still very good companies. Uh, they've done, you know, they're up 20% year to date. I just look forward to say, what are my comps going to be over the next few quarters? Uh, what, are they, what is the consumer going to do? You know, they're going to travel, they're going to spend more money. How much more are they going to spend? And also, I wanted to own the Lowe's because Lowe's has the purchasing power. I, I feel the, the lumber prices, the input prices are really going to hit the Mascos and, and Fortune brands harder than the Lowe's. So, you know, it was a time for me to take some profit, put it into other areas that I think could benefit, but still get the housing exposure through a Lowe's that's able to manage their expenses and actually look at suppliers in a lot better way. Okay, let me run through a few interesting Warren Buffett related stories, too, because, you know, Steph, when I saw that that Buffett and the Berkshire folks were totally out of wells from the 13F, I said to myself, I, I wrote it on script, I said, well, why is Stephanie Link still in it? I mean, they're out. Now they're totally out. And you're still in it. I, I still think there's a lot of upside. It still trades at 1.2 times book, even though it's up 57% year to date. So look, I'm, I'm sure that they took their gains and that's okay. But I think this, the, the, the CEO is slowly turning around this company, the culture, the, they have new management. I mean, the first quarter actually was pretty good in terms of net income. It beat handedly. Um, expense reductions continue to come down. Um, and they had some reserve releases like every other bank, but that certainly helped them as well. And I just feel like they continue to simplify the company with asset sales, right? They're selling their asset management business, the trust business. They've already sold the student loan business. So I just think that there's a lot of upside here because I do think the CEO has a handle on things. And I think it, there's much better oversight by him and his executive committee. I'd love to know from everybody, you know, I mean, look, Surratt, you own Chevron, Pete, you own Chevron, Link, you own Chevron, and Buffett reduced Chevron in half. And they haven't even owned it that long. And I, I'm wondering, Pete, What's up with that? I, I can't answer that question because of the fact that I still remain very bullish in terms of the energy market, Scott. So um, I understand why you're asking the question, but I can't give you the answer for why they decided to exit. I still like it. I still think that energy still has a lot of room to the upside. I still think oil still has plenty of room to the upside. So because of that, I look across. I have so much exposure in energy right now, it's almost ridiculous. As a matter of fact, I even added a little bit more today by buying some ExxonMobil calls because I'd seen some activity buying in the XLE. Well, that's Chevron. That's obviously Exxon, the big two. And instead of going and going with the ETF, I'd always rather be in individual names. So I pivoted over and bought Exxon calls rather than XLE calls. So I continue to grow more and more in the energy space in terms of my exposure. Feel really, really comfortable about it. And Chevron is, is virtually the only pure play I have in the energy space. I have KMI, and I love that name. But in terms of oil and gas, I'm, I'm looking directly at Chevron. And I still think there's upside, Scott. Yeah, I, I just can't remember. Maybe I'm just missing something. But they initiated the new position in Chevron in, in the third quarter of 2020, according to a filing at, at mm. that time. 
And now they've cut it in half already. I just can't remember a holding that the Berkshire folks cut in half after owning for such a short period of time. Maybe somebody can throw it at me, hey, judge, but I just can't think of judge, one off the top of my head. They, yeah, go, real quick, they, go ahead. They've been doing that. They've been do, They've been doing that for two years. The Berkshire Hathaway 13Fs have become increasingly incomprehensible. You don't know whether it's Ted or Todd, which ones Warren has input on, which ones he doesn't. They seem to be day trading pharmaceutical stocks at this point. They added Bristol Myers. They're trimming. They're trimming AbbVie. They're, they're selling Pfizer. Uh, Wells Fargo, he was kind of silent on and then whacked the whole thing. It's very, very hard to understand what the investment strategy is. They're like as much cash as they have stocks. They're a net seller this past quarter. The only thing they could think don't to actually you buy recently has don't, been don't, another You're a shareholder, company. aren't you? Aren't you a shareholder? Yeah, I'm actually, yes. I'm, I'm hoping that there's a sum of the parts play at some point. Look, the stock's done very well. It's rallying with all the insurance stocks and all the financials. Uh, and they do better as, as rates rise and the curve steepens. So I have no complaints about this, the stock price performance. But I've been saying for the last couple of quarters now, you could basically disregard whatever's in those 13 Fs. They no longer have any hmm. uh, way to understand anything about how Berkshire is thinking. Uh, and, and we'll just leave it at that. It's very hard for me. I don't, I gotta, I don't uh, get what they're trying I, to do. I got to I got to. I'm sorry, Josh. I got to bounce for a break. We'll come back with Pete's unusual activity, and that's straight ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Pete, unusual activity. What do you have? Sure. We're going to start with American Airlines, and that one's really interesting, Scott, because they hit twice already today. Earlier on, they, let the, they bought the last week in May the 24-and-a-half strike calls. They bought those. Then they came right back in last week in May, the 25 strike calls, 11,000 of those going for about 30 cents. Stock was just beneath about that 24 level. So those have a good opportunity. They're very, very close. Also in Sabre, they're going to the last week in May as well, and they bought 6,000 of the 14 strike calls. Those were going anywhere from 20 to 44 cents. Stock was trading about 13.20, both in the travel and leisure world. So it's interesting to see that we're seeing more and more of that start to pop up, Scott. All right, Pete, thank you. More trades are just ahead. Stay with us. One of the most difficult parts of growing up as an Asian American is overcoming biases. Uh, one of the biases that I was faced was that I was not good with interpersonal skills, but much stronger in math. I think with self-promotion and advocacy, you can change that and actually show those around you that you can be good in many things, not just a stereotype that comes with being Asian American. All right, that of course was our own investment committee member, Surat Sethi, talking about his experience as an Asian American. Surat, you have a great new piece on CNBC.com with advice for the next generation. I hope everybody goes and checks that out. You came to the U.S. when you were 12. You became a citizen when you were 26. How'd you get to Wall Street? And when did you know you wanted a career in finance? Um, so after college at Lehigh, which I owe a lot to, um, I was an accountant. I went back to business school 
And really at business school, where I said, you know, I like math, um, I like people, and I was given the opportunity to work with Doug Lane. And that was when, uh, you know, it, things clicked and I could marry the tech, you know, the technical skills with the people skills and just work hard, uh, always learn, look for mentors. And uh, I feel I'm very fortunate to be where I am today. Uh, I owe it a lot to all the people around me. And uh, I, I enjoy what I do. So I think, you know, if you put your head down, oh, look, at hard, you. Uh, look around, you know, um, look that, at you back in the day. Uh, you should have kept the oh, beard. Yeah. You look good with the beard. You, you, <laughs> It'd be all white now. Your, your advice for... Yeah, it would be. Your advice for the next generation, um, Surat, which is interesting, one of these things you have on your list, be your own advocate. Talk to me about that. What does that mean? Without being too self-promotional, uh, you can still be your own advocate. Well, uh, let your actions speak for, uh, for yourself. You know, work hard sh uh, and show people that you can work hard. Your output should speak for itself. And then, you know, uh, when I say advocate and say, look, this is what I've produced. This is what I can do. Uh, and I think if you get the right, again, mentorship with that, people who can recognize what other people don't see, it's, it's a very good combination that I think just doesn't apply to, to just to me, but to people from all over at, at all ages and, and even at our age and uh, I think it's very important to keep on feeling that you can improve yourself. Keep, you know, and be humble about it. All right. Um, you're a good man. We're happy to have you on the team. You know that. You can read more, Thank by you. the way, about Surratt's advice. You, for vi and, and you can visit CNBC.com slash invest in you. There it is. Go check it out. Ask Halftime is next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air as well. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back after this. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. Stephanie Link, a video one for you. Let's watch. Hi, this is Charles Moores from Malaga in Spain. I'm a longtime holder of Apple. Should I sell it? Should I hold it? It's been in the doldrums for a, a while now, and uh, I've got quite a lot of my portfolio wrapped up in it. So any uh, advice you can give me would be gratefully received. Thank you. All right. So, Steph, chart. Now, I mean, you, this is a question to the person who has been trimmed apple before, right? So, take that with a grain yeah. of salt, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I'm still market weight the name. So, I, but it's six percent of my weighting in the S and P 500. So it's a big number. Uh, look, I, I would just hold it. It's not uh, expensive at 25 times. Not for the growth that you're getting. Great products, great services. Even though apps are slowing, the car optionality. So I think you just hold it, stay patient, uh, and be a long-term investor. Okay, thank you for that, Josh Brown. A video question now for you. Hi, Josh. This is Brian in Seattle. My question is about CrowdStrike and Cloudflare, two cybersecurity companies, and PayPal and Square, two fintech companies. These companies are in secular growth trends, but they also have high PEs and are high growth stocks. They represent 5%, 3%, 4%, and 4% of my portfolio. How would you play these over the next two months? Thanks. All right, Josh, I love these kinds of questions. What's the advice? I mean, I, I was taking this very seriously until the last sentence over the, over the next two months. I, if any, all right, let me, let me use this opportunity to quickly give you a really great answer. 
Anyone that tells you they know what a stock is gonna do over the next two months is lying. I own PayPal, I own CrowdStrike. Your guess is as good as mine about the next eight weeks. I'm a long-term investor in both. And that's, if I were you, that's how I would think about them. But if you are a shorter-term trader, you should be using technicals, not people's opinions on TV. Let me ask you this, though, Josh, real quick. Are, are you comfortable with someone owning PayPal and Square, just for example? Yes, because while they're both payments companies, they have very different uh, objectives in their respective markets. The only real overlap is Venmo and Cash App. But Square's big business involves merchants and increasingly crypto, whereas PayPal is much more on the e-commerce side. So I think you can own them both. Maybe you don't want to have your portfolio be 8%, those two companies or whatever his, his percentages were. But I do think there's room for both in a portfolio. Okay, so I hope we helped you out uh, at least somewhat uh, there, Brian. Thank you for the questions, everybody. Uh, and the gang, thanks for the answers, too. We'll do final trades next. All right, Steph, final trade goes to you first, letter T. AT&T, I like this deal. It simplifies the company and it gets them to focus on what they can do better, 5G and fiber networks. Media was never their core and they would have had to spend a ton of money to even keep up with Netflix and Disney. So I like it. Stay patient, long-term investor. I'm wondering if you're as irate about the dividend and how they handle it as Kramer is, but I'll get to that another day. Simon Property Group, must be Josh Brown. <laughs> It is. I'm long. All right, Pete. I'm going to give you Unity Software, Scott. I like this name. I think it's going higher. It got cut, cut in half, okay. and now it's starting to move to the upside. I think it's ready to break out. Surat, I'm in OT. Give me quick. Charter Communications brought down by the rest of this uh, AT&T deal. Buy it now. Okay. All right, guys. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.